Welcome to the 13th episode of the Uneasy Podcast. My name is Isis. This podcast is about many of the uneasy conversations we go over and over in our minds. In this 13th episode, we will continue our discussion with Garth and why should we fight for what we consider right and pure, especially when you feel you do not measure up to the thing you are opposing. Last episode, I asked you, when you see the pictures of the protests in Baltimore, do you have a sense of hope? Or do you question how influential these discussions will have on current policy? I also mentioned in the last episode that we were going to do something a little different. So the next two episodes, I will not be relating our discussions to the book Upala. But it is still available for purchase on CreateSpace and Amazon. The title of the book is spelled U-P-A-L-A. I first want to give another gracious thank you to Garth for his time and wisdom. This episode, we will only touch the surface of our current state and why we have chosen to accept or reject the systems of control. Take some notes. Garth has a lot of great contemporary references I encourage you to look into. I want to motivate you to reach out and share your uneasy thoughts, reactions, suggestions, and stories. I want to gather all of your input and with your permission to share, create our own series of episodes of topics you would like to discuss. So I've broken our conversation with Garth into two episodes. And before we dive in, it seems these protests are a challenge to how we've chosen to identify, value, and respect people. Again, we need to do a little digging and educate ourselves on why and how we have come to see a person or a certain group of people in a particular marginalized way. And yes, slavery is over, we've endured the civil rights, but I would argue such behaviors have now rippled into us mentally. I want to challenge you to question things. When you read, listen, or watch unfortunate current events, don't just accept everything that is presented to you. Dive a little deeper. When I see pictures of protests in Baltimore, many of the signs insist on stop racist terrorism from police and stop police brutality. So I did a little digging on the requirements for becoming a Baltimore police officer. So it stated you needed a high school diploma or GED, be at least 20.5 years old or 20 and a half years old, take a civil service test, and some college or military experience will help strengthen your application. Once accepted, the first six months you'll be training in law and defense tactics, firearms and driving, and then you'll have to patrol a district. When I was reading through these requirements, I noticed there was no mention of community service, disaster relief training, or even social or cultural training. The emphasis seems to value more on how to be defensive, how to separate yourself from the people you're supposed to protect, how to use a firearm, how to go into combat. But I ask, who are you combating with? There was another recent article about how the North Miami Police Department was using mugshots of black men arrested as target practice. How do you think that influences their perception of black men? How do you think their association of using such images for target practice gets cemented in their minds? If you're being trained to associate a black man with something you can shoot at, then can such shootings be considered accidental or conditioned? If such people have been employed to protect and save lives, but are being trained to consider certain lives as not worth protecting or saving, it seems like an illusion. How big of a voice could the people protesting have since they're already relegated as inconsequential? Now I think the twist comes into play by instead of admitting to these people and their position is unimportant, they've been repositioned as the enemy or as terrorists. 
In another recent event, an actual police officer from my hometown of Pasadena, California was arrested for her protesting the department's misuse of their authority. She was arrested moments before her opportunity to speak in front of the city council about those who had been murdered or brutalized by the Pasadena police. But she was arrested and charged with alleged terrorist threats, assault, trespassing, and petty theft. Clearly her attempt in bringing attention to such corruption was silence and attack. If it is a war, and I'm aware, and you know, I wanna be on a certain side, well, what am I doing to help fight that war? I mean, and really at the end of the day, what can any of us do? And I think that is a big question. For me, I don't, I don't think, I don't really think anything happens by accident. Anything that's covered in the media, there's so much going on. And a lot of time I feel uncomfortable, you know, having this kind of conversation. And I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. I'm just like, the fight. Like, what am I doing in the fight? You know, I don't, I don't have big guns. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have an army. I don't have um, all this technology. I don't, influence is great, but is there a target? There's a part of me that believes that on one hand, certain groups in humanity that are pushing things forward, that believe there's a brighter day coming, uh, that believe these things can be solved, that we're gonna get over it, and we're gonna move into a new phase. There's a part of me that believes, you know, they're really audacious. We've been here for way longer than we think we have. And things have been this way for a really long time. You know, we, we continue to suffer through these basic human faux pas sort of sins of humanity, if you will, the, the notions of greed and power and lust and all these things that, that continue to sort of keep us in these boxes, keep us suffering. And then there's another part of me that's like, nah, man, you know, that it could actually be a reality. You know, we could, we could actually one day move into a completely different era. So I, I straddle the fence, you know. I think it balances itself out, like you're not gonna flip it in any way, because then you're just as bad as the person you're trying to to take the power from, because hmm. then you've then become the corrupt one. I think the only way that your your path and your journey and your influence works is if you keep it at the reach that you do, because then it can just get out of control. Hmm. Like I, don't, I don't think we're going to ever be in a reverse, where people are now in touch with themselves and everybody's accepting of themselves and everybody's understanding of their their legacy because then that's gonna that can go in another direction too hmm. i don't think your reach will be the same as the people that you're opposed to hmm. regarding what you just said that's the struggle straddling the fence why do what i do why consider getting more involved in a fight because that's basically what's really going on it's like there's a fight to be had how to do it, but why? Why Why if we may not ever change? What's the point? Don't we want to live life a different way as humanity? Don't we, don't we want there to be an abundance of humanity rather than just a little bit left? If there's something new that's set in motion based on education, a certain value system, I guess I should say re-education, um, we as human beings have the potential for so much. And why is it so important for this power structure to maintain this status quo? Why is so much knowledge 
hidden and kept secret and then kind of given out little by little uh, in these strange, because I believe that the truth is being hidden in plain sight, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there are those of us that see it and a lot of us that really just choose to ignore it or just don't. And why is it so important to, you know, maintain the shroud, you know, to keep the, the, the wool over the sheep's eyes, if you will, right? Like, why? Why is it so important? Why work so hard? Why spend so much money on maintaining this? I mean, there's the surface explanation like, well, it's it's about the haves and the have-nots and it's about resources and whatever. Like, I mean, for me, the struggle, the reason why I straddle the fence is it's got to do with why. If I go one way, why? And then why not relax a little bit, not be so concerned. The deeper layer to that is from a young age, the recognition or the perceiving the identity of good and evil, having this this gut feeling about good versus evil. And now that I have kids, oh man, it's it's like turned up. Music, for instance. My daughter comes home one day and there's a neighbor that likes to play music loud. And one of the things in his repertoire was gangster rap. And my oldest comes upstairs and she's, I don't know, seven or eight. And she says, Daddy, what's a dick? That's an example of me grappling with what's pure, what's good, what's righteous versus the opposite of that. There are children around all the time, yet the adult world chooses to not care so much. You know, living in Los Angeles, I mean, you, you know, you hear and see things all the time that you wish your kids didn't have to. It happens all the time. I mean, one of the things that we've done as parents is just made sure that there is no taboo subject. You know, we talk about things and if they bring us questions, we answer them honestly. And obviously we don't push to expose them to this stuff. We don't say, hey, here, look, this is sex on television. It makes me very upset. It's one of those things I'm very upset about. And that's part of the idea that on the, on the deeper level, on a spiritual level, I'm looking at this good versus evil thing. And why is that agenda being pushed so hard? Because it's very one-sided. If there was more harmony there, if there was more balance there, we may not be as concerned that which we consume so dark. It appeals to the darker side of the mind, the darker side of our uh, soul, if you will. You know, the mind versus the flesh. You know what I mean? That, that whole concept. And uh, I think being a parent, that has made me more acutely aware of this agenda. It would be great if they were equal in a balance, but it wouldn't be doing that side justice by elevating itself just to be balancing out the opposite or the darker side. Kind of like the ruling class needs others to define themselves. Your agenda and your state doesn't need that to define you. Like you are fine without it. If that thing went away, you'd still be who you are. But That's an interesting philosophy. I, I have to, I want to consider what you're bringing up, that's, it's good. Um, well, I mean, I think that if the ruling class, this 1% of this few need people and it's that the explanation is as simple as status quo, revenue, Terry, fruits, and they need us like we're slaves, you know, we're fodder. I'm not sure they need us to help define who they are. We're not necessarily relevant. We're only relevant because it's like, it's no different than 
you know, sla- it's, it's slavery, basically. All of it, you know, from the credit system to, you know, the stock market, all of it is just a shackles and chains, something that we bought into. We haven't been, you know, citizens of the United States since like, what year? I think sometime in the 1800s. We are actually employees of Washington, D.C. We're not citizens. We're actually not covered by all the rights that we think we are because we're not sovereign citizens. The citizen of the United States was formerly outright a sovereign citizen. And that's, it's not, that's, that, is, that hasn't been the case in, you know, a long time. <laughs> we pass judgment on countries we consider unfree and have been told we must invade such unjust countries in order to defend our freedom. But since 9-11, there has been significant reduction in human rights within the United States, including killing any citizen considered a terrorist, the authority to indefinitely detain citizens accused of any terrorism, strip citizens of legal protection based on sole discretion, whether or not a person will receive a fair trial, and warrantless surveillance to name a few. So what is this all worth? How far can we move forward? What have you chosen to accept? What have you bought into? But this whole thing is really intriguing, you know, and it's really deep. It's so deep, it's very difficult to swim in. I see it, but a lot of the time I'm on the shoreline. It's like, I don't feel like swimming in that water, man, you know? And I think that's that goes for a lot of us. And I used to feel like I didn't have anything to lose. I used to feel more confident, you know, if I so chose to fight. But now I'm not so confident. You know, I have a wife, I've got kids. You know, I just want to do my day to day. And I think that that's where we get caught up. You know, that's where the hippies lost. That's, you know, how the Black Panthers were infiltrated. I mean, any great institution that's been infiltrated and and shut down. And a lot of the time it just came down to like real basic stuff. Like, I just don't want to go swimming in that deep ass water, man. I got bills to pay. I got people to feed. I got all this stuff to do. That right there is how they got us. Next episode, we'll continue our discussion with Garth and a conversation centered on the media's efforts in branding identity as a means to justify negative stereotypes and demeaning culture. So please check it out. Also, please rate this episode, leave a comment, subscribe to the Uneasy Podcast. I would love to hear from you. For more details about this episode, please visit QuasiSound's website. I've included my notes for this episode, as well as the music I incorporated throughout the show. And while you're there, please buy my book. I sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to the Uneasy Podcast.